Okay, I want to thank everybody for coming. This is the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. The national director right now is me, Dr. D'Angelo. I'm using my PhD title for this school. Today is Thursday, September 10th. I want to welcome everybody. The class today is going to be on the United Front by Georgi Dimitrov, Bulgarian communist, which was his speeches at the session of the Comintern in 1936 or 7 in which the situation of the international communist movement, all the communist parties used to meet, be part of the Comintern, and it's very well organized. I just want to mention that it replaced the second international, which was the socialist parties, the Social Democrats International. The first international was the one that Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels organized in the late 1800s, the first Workingmen's Association, the first international. The second was the Social Democratic one in the early 1900s and the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the third international came out in 1922-24 after the Bolshevik Revolution. And they had a special meeting in mid-1930s because the situation in Europe and in the world and I'm going to go into that now. For the first time, fascism was gaining ground. Remember that the first issue of the fight against fascism was Spain, the Republic, saving the Republic in Spain from the Franco-fascist forces, which in the army, a coup in the army to overthrow the duly elected government of the Republic, which was the popular unity government, popular front government, composed of all the forces that were opposed to the monarchy. And out of that election, which was the early 1930s, they got rid of the monarchy through elections, and they set up a republic, which, as we all should know, a republic is a step further. Remember, our own revolution in 1776 was considered revolutionary by Comrade Marx and Lenin because it got rid of the monarchy and set up a republic. And that was the first one in the world at the time. The struggle against monarchy continues even to this day. There's a monarchy in England, of all places. It has no power, but it still exists. So in the early 1930s, they elected to get rid of the monarchy. Fascism then started with Franco in Spain, but throughout Europe, we were galvanizing against fascism in France, in Germany, in Italy, where it started in the early 20s by Mussolini, and then it went into an electoral victory in Germany itself in the early 1930s, 32 or 33, I don't remember which election, in which they came into power. And so up until that time, the position of the Communist International was one, we all read social fascism. It was one that we said that social democrats paved the way for fascism by their very policies. What happened to Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, they were murdered in Berlin by the Social Democratic government of Ebert. How did that happen? They allowed the Freikorps, which were a fascist organization of ex-veterans who came back from World War I, they allowed the Freikorps to allow them to kill the two communist leaders and uh, throw their bodies in the river in Berlin. 
And so we saw that as paving the way for the fascists. So our position, as we read in the past by Comrade Stalin and Comrade Browder, his pamphlet, What is the Meaning of Social Fascism? I understand it. It has not changed. But the position is we needed to join with the rank and file of the social democratic forces and also bourgeois forces who are anti-fascist in a popular front movement. And the term united front is not the same as popular front. I want to clarify that. United front means all the workers' parties, plural, which was the Communist Party and the Social Democratic Party at that period of time in Germany and in the world should join forces against fascism. That was the new position of the United Front period. In this country, we extended it, and in France, they extended it to what we call the Popular Front. And that difference is that in the Popular Front, we have elements of the bourgeoisie itself who are opposed to fascism. And that's what the Popular Front is. So without any questions right now, we can't do that. We're going to go through the person reading it. We're going to close for questions. Anybody who has a question of what I just said, just write it down, save it, and you can ask that question at that period of time. I have a small paragraph from the text on page 39 in the book. Our attitude of absolute opposition to social democratic governments, which are governments of compromise with the bourgeoisie, is well known. But this notwithstanding, we do not regard the existence of a social democratic government or a coalition government formed by a social democratic party with bourgeois parties as an insurmountable obstacle for establishing a united front with the social democrats on definite issues. We believe that in such a case, too, a united front for the defense of the vital interests of the toiling people and the struggle against fascism is quite possible and necessary. It stands to reason that in countries where representatives of social democratic parties take part in the government, the social democratic leadership offers the strongest resistance to the proletarian united front. This is quite comprehensible. After all, They want to show the bourgeoisie that they, better and more skillfully than anyone else, can keep the discontented working masses under control and prevent them from falling under the influence of communism. The fact, however, that social democratic ministers are opposed to the proletarian United Front can by no means justify a situation in which the communists do nothing to establish a united front with the proletariat. What Dimitrov is saying here fully supports what Angela was just saying about the popular front in the United States. That was the reason that I wanted to read that. Thank you, comrades. The fascist offensive and the task of the communist international. One, fascism and the working class. Comrades, as early as its sixth Congress, the Communist International warned the world proletariat that a new fascist offensive was in preparation and called for a struggle against it. The Congress pointed out that, quote, in a more or less developed form, fascist tendencies and the germs of the fascist movement are to be found almost everywhere, end quote. With the development of the present very deep economic crisis, 
with the general crisis of capitalism becoming sharply marked and the mass of working people becoming revolutionized, fascism has embarked upon a wide offensive. The ruling bourgeoisie more and more seeks salvation in fascism, with the object of taking exceptional predatory measures against the toilers, preparing for an imperialist war of plunder, attacking the Soviet Union, enslaving and partitioning China, and by all these means, preventing revolution. Imperialist circles are trying to put the whole burden of the crisis on the backs of the toilers. That is why they need fascism. They are trying to solve the problem of markets by enslaving the weak nations, by intensifying colonial oppression, and repartitioning the world anew by means of war. That is why they need fascism. They are striving to forestall the growth of the forces of revolution by smashing the revolutionary movement of the workers and peasants and by undertaking a military attack against the Soviet Union, the bulwark of the world proletariat. That is why they need fascism. In a number of countries, Germany in particular, these imperialist circles have succeeded. Before the masses have decisively turned towards revolution in inflicting defeat on the proletariat and establishing a fascist dictatorship, but there it is characteristic of the victory of fascism that this victory on the one hand bears witness to the weakness of the proletariat. Disorganized and paralyzed by the disruptive social democratic policy of class collaboration with the bourgeoisie and on the other hand, express the weakness of the bourgeoisie itself, afraid of the realization of a united struggle of the working class, afraid of revolution, and no longer in a position to maintain its dictatorship over the masses by the old methods of bourgeois democracy and parliamentarianism. The victory of fascism in Germany, Comrade Stalin said at the 17th Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, quote, must be regarded not only as a symptom of the weakness of the working class and as a result of the betrayal of the working class by social democracy, which paved the way for fascism, it must also be regarded as a symptom of the weakness of the bourgeoisie, as a symptom of the fact that the bourgeoisie is already unable to rule by the old methods of parliamentarianism and bourgeois democracy, and as a consequence is compelled in its home policy to resort to terroristic methods of administration. It must be taken as a symptom of the fact that it is no longer able to find a way out of the present situation on the basis of a peaceful foreign policy, as a consequence of which it is compelled to resort to a policy of war. Okay, is there any questions that anybody has? So notwithstanding whether or not they are socialists or not, something that I noticed from the text is that what Comrade Dimitrov was talking about sounds almost exactly what's happening today with the attacks on China by the West and how they're being attacked by the crypto-fascists and the constant need for war and such. That's just an analysis of my... So in regards to that comment, I guess the only thing I can say is that while it, those characteristics are completely true, Let's not forget that, that while capitalism was happy to cooperate within the broad spectrum of fascism, capitalist countries did fight against one another.
i.e. the United States and Nazi Germany did fight against each other, but only within the context of the bourgeois of both of those respective countries believing that they could essentially spare to do so without being completely lost to socialism. So the relation would be that if socialism is to the point where it is about to become global, then capitalism will resort to relying upon fascism. But because Nazi Germany and its national bourgeois were still in competition with American bourgeois, there was still the tension between them, and that's generally one of the reasons uh, why America went to war with Nazi Germany and they didn't end up cooperating, right? But there were several things, there were several statements and reports that did say that the Allies and America did want to use the Nazis as a bulwark against socialism in the Soviet Union. But I guess the point I'm trying to get to with all of this is that, well, it may be true that that happened under those circumstances, China is generally not the bulwark of modern socialism, and this is my opinion, just as with Sersh's opinion is Sersh's opinion, that in my opinion, it is more of a market socialist or so more of a state capitalist or, or more market-oriented economy, capitalist. I just want to point out, like, to show the illusion of democracy from bourgeois democracy, that in 33, I guess, there was over 2 million members in the Communist Party in Germany. And yet, that's when Hitler won the chancellorship. But when we were such a large minority politically, I don't, it's hard to imagine that would be weak. As Dimitrov pointed out, that it's the weakness of the organization and strength of the proletariat that allows this to happen. On the other hand, wouldn't it also, also be the fault of the Social Democrats that sided with the Nazis when it came down to preserving capitalism? I've got a question, and it's on what you were saying at the beginning. I'm just trying to take some notes on all this, and I wasn't able to write down the the meaning of united front the difference of united front and popular front okay quickly uh, I quickly just... i'm gonna i'm gonna answer that quickly okay Angela, united you... front united front is all the workers parties in this country now we don't have any work mass workers parties in our country today we don't have a labor party england has a labor party it's considered a workers party a social democratic party would be considered a workers' party. A communist party would be considered a workers' party. We don't have any of that in our country. So it's really not this part of the text, in my opinion, is not apropos to the United Front. The other side of the coin, a popular front. A popular front is bourgeois parties together with workers' parties or workers' organizations or associations, whatever term you want to use, that are working together against fascism. And they, they call that a popular front. I hope that gave you the difference. So just reading this, especially from, well, first off, from what we read in the beginning, it's interesting to take note about the fact that 
Lenin and, and them hailed the American Revolution of 1776 as revolutionary because it was revolutionary in the sense of getting rid of the monarchy. And in today's terms, and just in a general analysis of how fascism works, I wonder if it's, if it's a little naive to think that in the downfall of capitalism, when the bourgeoisie is being extremely ineffective, as Stalin kind of pointed out in his quote, to think that you could vote in somebody during the downfall of capitalism who wouldn't eventually secede the power to a fascistic force. If anybody would like to answer. So according to what I understood of the question, brings in the idea of voting. I don't believe they were not, they're necessarily talking about that. In my opinion, they're talking about any opposition, whether in the voting booth or in the streets. That's what I got from this statement, that he was not just talking at all about voting. Does anybody want to add to that or take away from that before we go on? I agree with you, Comrade Angelo, that he wasn't just specifically talking about the voters. Thank you. I hope I answered questions. We're having an election. Maybe six or seven weeks there's going to be an election in this country. And there's two views in the left, which means everybody who calls themselves a communist or a socialist. There's basically two views. The first view is that there is no difference between the bourgeoisie in one party and the bourgeoisie in the other party. In other words, the policies of Biden, in this case Biden, is exactly the same as the policies under Trump. That's the view of that group in the left. The other group in the left, and this is the, the dilemma that the left is going through now, the questioning, the other group is saying, this is different. This is not a regular election between Tweedledee-Dee and Tweedledee-Dum, the way we've always had it under capitalism. That this election is different, that on one hand, we have a regular bourgeois candidate, who's not friendly to the working class, but on other issues, we can get crumbs from them, and that is Biden. On the other hand, we have a, someone like Trump, who just passed a tax law strictly for the billionaires, who also seems to be, with his jingoism and his anti-immigrant, is looking for a scapegoat for the problems of capitalism. And that is different than what we had before. I'm stopping. Let's go on to the reading again. The class character of fascism. Comrades, fascism in power was correctly described by the 13th plenum of the Executive Committee of the Communist International as the open terrorist dictatorship of the most reactionary, most chauvinistic, and most imperialist elements of finance capital. The most reactionary variety of fascism is the German type of fascism. It has the, affront uh, the affrontary, affrontary, affrontary national yeah. socialism, though it has nothing in common with socialism. 
Hitler's fascism is not only bourgeois nationalism, it is bestial chauvinism. It is a government system of political gangsterism, a system of provocation and torture practice upon the working class and the revolutionary elements of the peasantry, the petty bourgeois and the intelligentsia. It is medieval barbarity and bestiality. It is unbridled aggression in relation to other nations and countries. German fascism is acting as the spearhead of international counter-revolution, as the chief instigator of imperialist war, as the initiator of a crusade against the Soviet Union, the great fatherland of the toilers of the, world, of the whole world. Fascism is not a form of state power. Quote, standing above both classes, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, end quote, as Otto Bayer, for instance, has asserted. It is not, quote, the revolt of the petty bourgeoisie, which has captured the machinery of the state, end quote, as the British socialist Brailsford declares. No, fascism is not super-class government, nor government of the petty bourgeoisie, or the Lumpkin proletariat over finance capital. Fascism is the power of finance capital itself. It is the organization of terrorist vengeance against the working class and the revolutionary section of the peasantry and intelligentsia. In foreign policy, fascism is jingoism in its crudest form, fomenting bestial hatred of other nations. This, the true character of fascism, must be particularly stressed because in a number of countries under cover of social demagogy, fascism has managed to gain the following of, mass, of the mass of the petty bourgeoisie that has been driven out of its course by the crisis, and even of certain sections of the most backward strata of the proletariat. These would never have supported fascism if they had understood its real class character and its true nature. The development of fascism and the fascist dictatorship itself assume different forms in different countries. According to historical, social, and economic conditions and to the national peculiarities and the international position of the given country. In certain countries, principally those in which fascism has no extensive mass basis and in which the struggle of the various groups within the camp of the fascist bourgeoisie itself is fairly acute. Fascism does not immediately venture to abolish parliament, but allows the other bourgeois parties as well as the social democratic parties to retain a certain degree of legality. In other countries where the ruling bourgeoisie fears an early outbreak of revolution, fascism establishes its unrestricted political monopoly, either immediately or by intensifying its reign of terror against and persecution of all competing parties and groups. This does not prevent fascism, when its position becomes particularly acute, from trying to extend its basis and, without altering its class nature, trying to combine open terrorist dictatorship with a crude sham of parliamentarianism. The accession of power of fascism is not an ordinary succession of one bourgeois government by another, but is substitution of one state form of class domination of the bourgeoisie, bourgeois democracy by another form, open terrorist dictatorship. 
it would be a serious mistake to ignore this distinction, a mistake which would prevent the revolutionary proletariat from mobilizing the widest strata of the working people of town and country for the struggle against the menace of the seizure of power by the fascists, and from taking advantage of the contradictions which exist in the camp of the bourgeoisie itself. But it is a mistake no less serious and dangerous to underrate the importance in establishing the fascist dictatorship of the reactionary measures of the bourgeoisie, which are at present increasingly developing in bourgeois democratic countries, measures which suppress the democratic liberties of the working people, falsify and curtail the rights of parliament, and intensify the repression of the revolutionary movement. We're going to stop there. As your comrade was reading, I was thinking of what I've witnessed in this country for the past two years. And I have come to the conclusion, by using Dimitrov only, that this definition can be applied to what we're witnessing in our country at this point. And I think we should ask people if they see any similarities between what we just read now, between that and what is going on in our society or in any other society in the planet. So I'm going to open up the questions. I hope people have questions. I hope they have their thinking cap on and seriously put aside other things and think about comparing this to what we've been going through. I think I find the role of Trump uh, in American and global history very peculiar because he does not have full support by his own party. It is totally opposed by the Democratic Party. But when it comes to global fascism and fascism in the United States of America, I see more dangers coming from the so-called Democrats and, and people like George W. Bush and his son. And because the so-called Republicans, they do not stand up for the Republic. They are only into money-making and global military adventures, perpetual warfare. And I seem to give President Trump a little credit because he's not full-scale fascist. Even in the United States, he's talking about bringing about back manufacturing, coming up with infrastructure policies, investment in those areas, and opposing outsourcing in the best interest of the United States. And above all, when it comes to global peace, he's talking about cooperation with China and Russia, not military confrontation, when... The Republican parties like Bush and Obama, Clinton, Hillary Clinton was talking about no-fly zone over Syria. That could have... Okay. I was going to say, I think the Trump administration definitely, undeniably, is advancing towards fascism. But I think the, how fascism was described as incredibly jingoistic and terroristic against the working class, do you think that America in its history being as jingoistic and terroristic towards the working class with the armed labor struggles and whatnot of the 20th century, do you think that the government could be characterized as fascistic or having elements of fascism, or is, it that, is that a modern development, would you say? I'd like to answer that quickly. Gus Hall put it best, I think, when Ronald Reagan was president, and he called it a whiff. You know what a whiff is? A smell. Yeah. A whiff of fascism. That's what Gus Hall talked about with Ronald Reagan. And this situation we're now makes, in my opinion, makes Ronald Reagan basically seem more like a 
I wouldn't even say jingoist compared to what I've been hearing. For example, I'll give you an example, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I want my supporters to go out and vote two, three, four times. Stop right there and analyze that. What would that mean if that happened? Number two, the idea of full-scale fascism, it's either not fascism or fascism. And a whiff of fascism is different. A whiff means we smell something that is not right. We don't know what it is, but we know there's something wrong there, okay? To go on TV and say that the Ku Klux Klan are good people, is that something that would come from the left or from the right? So I actually had a question about the text. So obviously when Dimitrov is writing and when our position as a party is that fascism, we analyze it in a class context and we understand that fascism is the dictatorship of the highest concentrations of finance capital. But there's a large contingent today of people that don't analyze fascism in a class context. And so, for example, one of my college professors at university, he said that Stalin in the Soviet Union was actually, he called it, the most successful form of fascism. So I just wanted to see what would your response be to people like that who don't analyze fascism in a class context and instead just attribute a lot of it to whatever the government does or whatever the state does. Yeah, well, uh, that's quick. At the beginning of this work, he mentioned someone named Otto. I don't know if you remember that. That's the position of social democracy. Your professor is not that old that he lived during the period of the 20s. But it doesn't matter if the mask or the person, it's the same message that they're giving out. That fascism is above, above bourgeois democracy. It is separate. It's a separate entity. We have communism, we have fascism, and we have bourgeois democracy. Bourgeois democracy, according to that message, is basically the norm. That's what your professor is spouting. That's what he's saying. When we say history has proven opposite, fascism does not come from the bottom. And your professor would probably allude to that. The middle class people and the working class and the people who have nothing, who uh, basically follow uh, a fascist leader, those kind of people would be really considered by somebody like your professor the fascist elements. Dimitrov says no. It's money. In fact, there was a poster in Germany that said there were millions behind Hitler. And if you saw the poster, it's millions of German marks, which mean money. The capitalists were behind Hitler. Who's supporting the right-wing reactionary forces in our country? How do they get the money to run their campaigns? I mean, that should be answered. Your professor is deliberately living in a cloud, in my opinion. I just wanted to say, I think America is definitely on the way to become fascist. We're literally watching our own version of the Freikorps out there right now with right-wing militias working with the police. People are being slaughtered right now, and literally, without any hyperbole, 99% of the murders... I mean, nobody's being held accountable, nobody's being punished. However, the thing is, Donald Trump himself, I wouldn't say he's entirely a fascist. Like, in their incompetence, he's actually helped us a lot. He's working actually to kind of help dissolve NATO, to get some of the troops out of, you know, overseas places like Germany, you kind of get rid of the empire, I guess, you know. Like in Syria, uh, they dissolved the empire in the region. When Daesh moved from Iraq to Syria, the U.S. made dozens of bases in Syria 
and hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered by the jihadists, which were sponsored by NATO and Saudi Arabia. But Donald Trump actively got rid of that. He got a phone call from the Turkish president, their dictator, and he was kind of forced to take the troops away from the region, and he did that to declare victory. So now Russia has stepped in, in a pivotal part of the world, and he's given Syria and Rojava a seat at the table. They've negotiated to become an autonomous region, and they're all working together to take out Daesh and the Turkish-backed jihadists, whereas before they were kind of forced to support American bases in order to survive the Daesh onslaught. Thank you. Has NATO been strengthened? Or has NATO been weakened? That's the question we should ask ourselves on this phone. Now, let's look. What did President Trump say? He said he wanted NATO countries to pay for their own. So now he's forcing them to pay for their own. Is that making NATO weaker? Or is it, in reality, strengthening NATO? Think about that. I think it's strengthening NATO. Yeah. I think like a good con artist and salesman, he's able to talk a line that in reality he confuses the people he's trying to sell, the used car or whatever. On the issue of Syria and Afghanistan, Trump said he was going to take troops out, correct? Well, yes. what he did is he took troops out of one area, and guess what he did with them, comrades? He put them in another area. So let's be clear about what somebody says and what they do. And as Lenin would say, what is the objective result of what they do? Does it hurt the working class or does it strengthen the boss? And I think in both of the cases that were mentioned, the capitalists on this planet were strengthened. They were strengthened. They were not weakened. I just had uh, two points I wanted to bring up. This made me think of one of the main myths of capitalists and people that argue in favor of laissez-faire free markets is that they equate the free market with political freedom. And fascism, the historical examples of fascism are just cases in point to show that that's not necessarily, that that's not true. It's false. Just look at Pinochet's Chile. One of the, one of the proving grounds of neoliberalism was Pinochet's Chile, but it was a fascist government. And Another point that I wanted to make is that one of the things that I find somewhat lacking from Dimitrov's definition, and I love Dimitrov's definition, I think he underplays the extent to which fascism, wherever it arose, was a mass movement. It wasn't, he kind of, I think there's a tendency sort of to see the working class as a whole as non-reactionary, but there are methods that fascists use to manipulate the public opinion of workers and they can end up becoming fascists and aiding fascism. But there was a reason that people like Hitler and Mussolini, people went along with them. So not everyone was, that's a big problem for us, I think, is to sort of break through the manipulation of public opinion that our government has. And I think that that's what we should look at. Yeah, I just wanted to say that this is a uh, really relevant text, in my opinion, to what's been going on these past couple of years. Years and years ago, 2016, I voted for Hillary Clinton just because I was like, you know, I was a Democrat back then, and I saw Trump, like, like he's going to be a fascist, he's going to, like, you know, ruin the United States, fucking take us to the ground, 
I've seen quantitative changes towards fascism under the couple of years that he's been president. I haven't seen a qualitative shift towards it yet. And I wonder if we will see that in these next four years with the uh, intensification of repression against leftists, Portland and other cities that we've seen all across the country. I just wondered what you all thought about that and whether, you know, it's inevitable that the United States will go towards fascism and maybe that's how the whole country will go down in the end in world history, whether Trump is president or not. That's it. Thank you. I'd like to respond if anybody else wants to respond. They could respond after me. Think of this. 1932, Berlin. Who was screaming from the podiums? that we needed law and order. I've seen the quote. There was chaos in the streets because there was fighting between the communists and the, and, the, and the Nazis, physical fighting in the streets. And there was chaos, very similar to what's going on. By the way, it happened in Nixon during the Vietnam War. Nixon, the famous quote that Nixon used, that there, we need to have law and order, that there was chaos in the streets. Who from the White House said that the immigrants are our enemy, no matter who they were, that they're vile people, they're rapists, they're murderers? I never, ever heard that from any Democrat, ever. But I did hear it from Trump. I did hear that. And I think everybody else heard it. Go back to 1922, 32, Germany. There are enemies among us, Jews, gypsies. Malcontents. Who said that? Was it the Social Democrats? Was it the Communists? Or was it the Hitler himself who said that? And the worst but all, who said that the enemy is socialism? From the steps of the White House, who said that a week ago? Socialists are the enemies. I didn't hear from anybody else except from Trump. I didn't hear from any other Democrat, any other Republican. But I did hear it from Trump. Go back to Germany again. Enemies among us, communists, Jews, gypsies, comrades. This is a different election. This is not the same tweedledee-dee and tweedledee-dum. Anyone could um, answer that, and then we're going to go on to the next comment, Jose. I could also comment on that. Sort of to add on to what you were talking about with Hitler, on page 21 of Mein Kampf, Hitler actually refers to the two greatest dangers to the German people being Marxism and Jewry. I just think that was a, an important thing to add. I agree. It's very interesting how we need to have an enemy. It's one thing to say Russia is our enemy. It's another thing to say China is our enemy. It's another thing to say the enemy is here at home. It's your fellow citizens. It's the guy that has polio, the guy that has mental retardation. These are the enemies of our people? I think in relation to the text that we're reading to what's going on today, you said this election is very different in the sense that Trump is definitely a tool of the fascists, not like a Manchurian candidate type. And the Democrats see that kind of fascism is not necessary right now, especially that Socialists are not strong. We're not powerful. Obviously, you know, there's, we don't really have a voice. There's very few of us. So the kind of fascism that Trump is pushing is detrimental to keeping the people in line with the illusion of freedom and, so, and things such as that. He's rocking the boat. Well, what they have working right now is going very well. In the text, in the text it says that the bourgeois democracy would not align themselves with the fascists if they knew their true nature. 
And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now today, how with the differences between the Democrats and the Republicans, although they generally have the same agenda, Trump is pushing much farther right when we don't have international socialism rising up like, you know, we did in, in past history. So that kind of fashion is not necessary and actually does damage to their image and to their cause of illusion of freedom. And I found the class illuminating, but also disheartening in a way. These are very troubling times. And with so much on the line and with so many different crises, this is a very different time in history, I think, for the United States. There are a lot of similarities to the Weimar Republic, but a lot more is at stake and a lot more people are in danger just with the climate and the rise of fascism. However, I do want to say, while socialists in the United States are incredibly weak, there is a high amount of revolutionary instinct in the left and the dispossessed. So... I personally don't think all hope is lost, but it is very grave. So I thought it was a great class. I would just be wary about not taking a Biden presidency very seriously, considering he's running on a campaign of never Trump again and the implications of which legislating away the means by which Trump would become president would definitely become very problematic for communists. But thank you for the class very much. Yeah, I really like the class. I agree with a lot of comments that have been said. I also think we should be paying attention to the Democrats and their tendency towards fascist moves, such as aligning themselves with the intelligence state or groups like, you know, the EU or whatnot. I think if they're not there, they're at least making hints that they could move there. That's all. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to uh, making the distinction between Biden and Trump. I know a lot of leftists today in general say that there's no difference in there's no reason why they should vote for either, but there is quite a big difference between Trump and Biden presidency. Thank you. The weakness of our position right now really can't be overstated, I think, honestly. And we need to ask ourselves, I think, the question, not if Donald Trump seizes power in November, but when and what we can do and how we can organize in a state that is going to start killing us off within the next, like, five years. Because, I mean, I think we need to realize that that's, that's going to happen. I just want to say, I think Trump is a danger, but I think capitalism, whether it's by the Democrats or Republicans, has become a much more threat to any chance of democracy as time goes on. That's it. Thank you. Incrementing fascism from the beginning. And the people who vote for Trump now would have voted for Hitler in 1933. There's no difference between these people. This country's right for fascism of these fascists population that exists. Also, if he's elected, you could see death squads coming, like what's happened in South America. What happened in Portland, where the people vanished from the streets? Don't forget that. That was four weeks ago. Federal agents went into the streets and took people right off. I think a good work also to read is Stalin's Concerning the International Situation, which he wrote in 1926, in which he talked about the role that bourgeois fascist, uh, pacifism and social democracy played in making fascism possible. On what was being talked about today, I feel like the problem with America is way bigger, and it's not going to be fixed just with one election. You're correct. Thank you. Good observation. I just want to say that I completely agree that Trump, as opposed to our, our Democratic candidate, has a clear fascist tendency. 
But I also just think that communists don't have anything to gain from trying to prolong liberalism, as Steph said, when we can use our attention to build a further left opposition. Because while we're trying to support liberalism to protecting it from fascism, the communist movement doesn't grow a bit. And instead, you know, you this opportunity to try to get people who are disillusioned onto alternatives. Good point. This text has so many parallels to what's happening today that I believe all of us should be using this when we speak to, to others outside of our movement in order to show what is happening today. I hear so many people talking about how this isn't fascist, uh, fascists, or this isn't going on, or this is just democracy. And I, and and really, honestly, we see it all. We see this text replaying itself, and it really is if history repeats itself, and we're seeing it today. Thank you. Realistically, we just need to be careful when we're looking Biden for some sort of savior, because realistically, again, like you drew a parallel between Hitler and Trump. When in reality, prior to Trump's even like his candidacy, they have video of Biden advocating for the same things, a border wall with Mexico, imprisoning people who hire Mexican labor or like illegal labor. Even the fact that he was a part of the drafting like the original crime bill. We need to be careful who we take for. And that's all I have to say. Great class. Yeah, Thanks. good point. Good point. Just want to say that we need to and uh, must get better at talking in person, face to face, and convincing people towards socialism and towards Marxism. Too often we can get isolated in our own individual communities and just talking about socialism you know, when we know it's a good thing, but not expanding it. And we, didn't, we need to understand that expanding it in person, talking to people, and going to the people is a very important part of this party. Thank you, comrade. Good point. Well, I think everybody's thinking about the whole. Biden versus Trump thing. Was Trump a fascist? I think he's fascist light. Two takeaways. I think Stalin's quote is very relevant, and we should be careful again of this. He says, when the bourgeoisie already is unable to rule by the old methods, it's compelled to resort to terrorist methods of administration. I think we really need to have a clue as to when you get somebody up against the wall, it's going to be worse than we can probably ever imagine. And the other takeaway I liked was uh, one of the comments made the comments about we tend to be, our instinct as Americans, we do have a revolutionary instinct. And I think we need to attach that and realize that we can reach that kind of trait that is uh, pretty predominant in the American psyche. That's it. When it comes to the next election, I see it globally. I do not only see it from a vantage point of North American interest, which is only 4 to 5% of the world's population. So as we say, we have to give the devil his due. The way Trump talks, he's not a very smart person. He's not a good politician. He's abrasive and blunt. But when it comes to geopolitics, I think he's relatively more peaceful to preserve us from a thermonuclear war. Because the Obama administration was critical in overthrowing the government, legitimate government of Libya. And he, Libya was one of the major beneficiaries of the African continent and a so-called Democrat. Clinton attacked and destroyed Yugoslavia. Okay, he was a Democrat. 
So we have to be, we do not have to be driven by emotions to analyze uh, individual politicians. We have to take the larger picture into account, which is universal world peace. So when it comes to that, I prefer Trump to all the Democrats, to the sleepy Biden. Biden was the chairperson to overthrow the government of Ukraine, by the way. A Democrat is the vice president of the United States. And he has also supported throughout his political career all interventions, all regime changes he has supported by voting for them. Closing remarks. The discussion tonight will be continued next Thursday. I think it's an important discussion. It's a discussion that's going on in the left, not only in our country. It's going on in the left in every other country. I read newspapers that are in English from England, even from stuff from RT today, but the question is, the discussion is going on. We as Bolsheviks, not radicals, we as Bolsheviks in this country, we have to look to a situation where we could organize without going underground. I think, let me finish, I think that's what we need to do. We got to organize so that we don't have to go underground. We are not saying as a party that people should vote for one or the other. That's not the party position. Everybody should know that. But the party position is one thing. We as individual Bolsheviks have to look at it in another way. Do we want to be in a situation where we are underground? Is that possible? Is that calling out woof too many times? Do people think it will never happen here, that this will never happen in this country? Some people do think that, by the way. Do we think that it's uh, American exceptionalism is so different that they won't clamp down on us? They did it in 1950s, comrades. Did it in the 1950s. And it was under Democrats and Republicans. There's no difference. There's no difference. But we're not talking about Democrats or Republicans, comrades. We're talking about our survival here for the next five years. And each of us have to think of that. Because a mistaken policy can destroy lives among our people, our comrades. And that's all I'm going to live with and discuss now. Thank you all for taking part in tonight's meeting. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye.